Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, June 1st. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. The country pays tribute to the sacrifices of generations of U.S. soldiers on this Memorial Day weekend. President Biden travels to Tulsa to commemorate the anniversary of one of the worst episodes of racial violence in U.S. history. And the dramatic walkout by Democrats in Texas killing a sweeping voting restriction bill. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with this, Americans across the nation honoring the country's military veterans on Monday, Memorial Day, paying tribute to the many sacrifices of the men and women of the armed forces. Amongst the tributes are 21 gun salutes on the USS Constitution in honor of fallen service members. The salvos fired once a minute for 21 minutes straight, starting at noon. The American flag flying at half staff and the morning hours in honor of veterans who have made the ultimate sacrifice. Old glory raised to full heights after the gun salute. As a tribute to military service members who are still with us, the USS Constitution has an important historical significance as the oldest commissioned warship in the world that continues to be afloat. And President Biden honoring fallen soldiers at Arlington National Cemetery. He said the diversity of the nation and its armed forces has been an incredible strength and noted Americans of all backgrounds, races, identities and sexual orientations have sacrificed their lives to defend the nation's democracy. The president also spoke about the death of his own son. Sunday marked the sixth anniversary of his passing. And it's known for being the longest running big city parade in the country. The Brooklyn Memorial Day Parade got underway Monday. Due to the pandemic, there were no large crowds, but a motorcade was present. The parade made a stop at the Veterans Affairs Hospital, then a memorial service by Fort Hamilton at John Paul Jones Park. Members of the United Military Veterans of Kings County also planned the ceremony to honor those who served their country. And now to the legacy of one of the worst episodes of racial violence in U.S. history. Today, President Biden is headed to Oklahoma to commemorate the anniversary of the Tulsa massacre, becoming the first sitting president to do so. But even a century later, the racial divides in our country continue to run deep. Andrea Linares has more details. A candlelight vigil in Tulsa, Oklahoma, honoring the victims of one of the worst cases of racial violence in American history. A hate-filled massacre erasing livelihoods and generational wealth for so many families. It's finally being acknowledged uh, what our ancestors went through. Today, President Biden is visiting Oklahoma to meet some surviving members of the community. It all happened on the city's Greenwood District, also known as Black Wall Street home to more than 300 Black-owned businesses where entrepreneurs, art, and culture flourished. Now it's known as the site of a horrific race massacre. After Black Americans were killed by a white mob that had attacked the neighborhood and burned dozens of city blocks to the ground. For decades, there have been calls for reparations. 
the generational wealth that you have today, the land that you have today, uh, all of that began with all that destruction. The president is also expected to announce new actions his administration will take to reduce the racial wealth gap. This includes a $10 billion community revitalization fund included in his infrastructure proposal. The funds will support adapting vacant buildings and storefronts to provide low-cost space for services and community entrepreneurs, including health centers, arts and cultural spaces. New competitive grants totaling $15 billion that will target neighborhoods where people have been cut off from jobs, schools and businesses. The American Jobs Plan will also invest $31 billion to support minority-owned small businesses. And with Democrats controlling the U.S. House and Senate, there's a renewed hope. On Monday, two of the remaining survivors, Viola Fletcher and her brother Hughes Van Ellis, arriving to cheers and participating in a ceremony honoring the dead who were never identified. But for Viola, the loss, the fear remain. I'm afraid that something like that might happen again. Today, the city of Tulsa will begin exhuming at least a dozen sets of remains, which experts believe may belong to victims. But the city says this work may take several months, despite what appears to be an on-ramp to justice. Some observers say the road is long and the direction is not clear. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that story. And now we turn to Texas in a surprising move that killed a controversial voting bill. State Republican lawmakers tried passing the Senate Bill 7, also known as SB 7, over the weekend. And to understand more, we are joined by Sarah Labowitz. She's the Policy and Advocacy Director at the ACLU of Texas. Welcome to you, New, Sarah. Thank you so much, Carolina. It's nice to be with you. Likewise, let's begin with the basics for those viewers who might not be familiar with this story. What is SB7? SB7 is a voter suppression bill. And when we think about voter suppression, it's really two things. It's administrative barriers that target really voters of color and it's intimidation. So SB7 had both things. It made it more difficult to vote by shortening polling hours, making polls to the uh, souls to the polls more difficult. Uh, it banned drive-through voting and 24-hour voting. And then on the intimidation side, it empowered poll uh, partisan poll watchers and um, added 16 criminal penalties to the election code. And now can you explain what the Democratic walkout achieved? How did that kill this bill? Well, the legislative session, the deadline was midnight on uh, Sunday night to pass bills out of the House. And you need in Texas 100 of the 150 members of the House in order to uh, vote on a bill. And there are 67 Democrats in the House, and a uh, little more than 60 of them walked out um, around 1030 at night, so an hour and a half before the deadline, which denied Republicans a quorum to take a vote on the bill. So as of now, the bill is dead, but Texas Governor Greg Abbott has signaled in his intention to revisit the issue. So what does the future hold for this type of legislation in Texas? Well, you know, I, I want to say it's a huge victory for democracy. And, you know, Democrats really did take a courageous stand in, in blocking this bill through this really last minute 
um, procedural walkout. But the desire to pass this bill on the part of Republicans has not gone away. And so we are just keeping our guard up. We know that, that Greg Abbott and Dan Patrick are hell-bent on passing this bill. And it's going to mean a summer of intense work. Um, Governor Abbott has said he will call a special session to address this bill. So we'll be um, organizing and educating voters to make sure that they know their rights, but also that they know uh, what lawmakers wanted to do this session to their voting rights. And Sarah, similar types of legislation have come up around the country. Could this move by Texas Democrats shed light on potential strategies in other states to confront these kinds of bills? Well, it's just an amazing thing to have this kind of, to have Texas Democrats um, and really organizers and advocates across Texas stand up for our democratic rights. I think there are lessons learned. This is the result. The the drama on uh, Sunday night was really um, the culmination of months of work by both legislators and also advocates and organizers on the outside. So we've seen a lot of corporate pressure, a lot of organizing, um, just regular uh, people calling their calling their legislators. So that kind of pressure, I think it's a it's a huge win for advocacy, and we know that um, more of the same is going to be required to protect our voting rights and our democracy. Sarah Labowitz, the policy and advocacy director at the ACLU of Texas. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. this Memorial Day weekend broke travel records and even expectations. Millions of Americans enjoyed a three-day celebration of freedom from wearing a mask and social distancing. This is the numbers of new coronavirus cases drops to less than 20,000 a day. But the World Health Organization warns the pandemic is not over yet. Lorraine Castares has more details. Three days of barbecues, parades, and packed beaches. The Memorial Day weekend marking the start of a promising summer for all Americans. TSA screening nearly 2 million travelers on Friday, almost reaching 2019 pre-pandemic numbers. The Indy 500 welcoming 135,000 fans. I was worried it wasn't going to be enough people here, but uh, it was great. So uh, I thought they did a wonderful job and the race was outstanding. Starting today, Las Vegas is back to operating at 100% capacity and the CDC now dropping masking and physical distancing for campers and staffers who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Four months after I took office, we're further along in this fight than anyone thought possible. So far, 41% of the population is fully inoculated, and about 51% has gotten at least one dose. The CDC reporting the seven-day average for vaccinations has settled at about 1.3 million doses a day. The U.S. is reporting less than 20,000 cases a day. That's the lowest daily case count in more than a year. But on Monday, the WHO giving the world a stark warning. It would be a monumental error for any country to think the danger has passed. The tailored and consistent use of public health measures in combination with equitable vaccination remains the way out. Discovering the origins of the pandemic, a crucial step in preventing another pandemic. But with China not cooperating, U.S. officials not feeling fully optimistic will ever truly find out. 
I do think it's more likely than not it emerged out of the lab, most likely uh, accidentally, uh, for several reasons. This is the worst uh, cover-up in human history uh, that we've seen, resulting in 3.5 million deaths, creating a, a economic devastation uh, around the globe. And Moderna is now applying for full authorization of its COVID-19 vaccine to the FDA, to the government. The company is saying that during the next six months, it will be in a rolling basis submitting its, uh, its information to the FDA on its trial data that it's been conducting for months. It says right now we know that the Moderna vaccine is 90% effective. In May, the Pfizer uh, pharmaceutical company submitted for its full government approval and that vaccine is 91% effective. Back to you, Carolina. Thank you, Lorraine, for that live report from Miami, Florida. Now to immigration and proposed reforms that might mean less time in court for migrant families seeking asylum in the U.S. The news comes after a DHS memo revealed steps in the Biden administration is taking to revamp the immigration system. Edwin PT is live in Washington, D.C. with all the details. Edwin, great to see you. That's right, Carolina. According to a 46-page memo from the Department of Homeland Security, the Biden administration plans to rebuild and expand the U.S. legal immigration system. It is important because the document titled DHS Plan to Restore Trust in Our Legal Immigration is a draft that outlines the plan to undo former President Trump's effort to make immigration more difficult, expensive, and even slower. The White House confirmed that the documents are a draft and it includes many of the changes promised by President Biden. The current administration wants to make moving to the U.S. from abroad an easier and cheaper process. The new policies could help refugees, trafficking victims, asylum seekers, the families of Americans living abroad. It also looks into revamping programs such as the H-1B visa for highly skilled workers and also the U visa programs. The changes include making immigration forms simpler and to deal with the backlog of cases, USCIS will start having their interviews virtually. The forms will be able to be submitted even electronically now. So, so far, Biden doesn't have Congress support for an immigration reform. So the White House said most of these changes will be implemented by executive actions. So of course, we're going to be following up everything that happens on Capitol Hill, Carolina, because so far, Republicans do not agree with the way the White House is handling this situation. But at the same time, they are not coming together with Democrats at the table to develop a immigration reform. Reporting live in Washington, D.C., Carolina, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for the live report from Washington, D.C., as always. More of you news after the short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. India 
U.S. coronavirus crisis is showing signs of improvement. The country reported on Monday its lowest number of cases and deaths since April 11th. Nearly 153,000 new infections were recorded as the total cases surpassed 28 million. It is the fourth day in a row that number was below 200,000. Although reported cases are declining, state authorities remain cautious. Some states near Mumbai have extended lockdowns. Government officials say it also hopes to deliver 120 million COVID vaccine doses by July. And in South America, Peru has more than doubled its COVID death toll following an official review, making it the country with the world's highest death rate per capita. The official death toll is now more than 180,000, up for almost 70,000 in the country of about 33 million people. Prime Minister Violeta Bermudez said the number was increased on the advice of Peruvian and international experts. The criteria for recording COVID deaths has now been broadened beyond people who tested positive for the virus to include probable cases. The European Commission wants governments to further lift restrictions on travel between EU member states with vaccinated and recovered travelers exempt from quarantine and testing requirements. The commission recommends that fully vaccinated people with an EU digital COVID certificate should be exempted from testing or quarantine from 14 days after the last dose. People who have recovered from COVID and have taken one of the two dose vaccine should not face any restrictions. Those who have recovered should also no not face restrictions during the first 180 days after a positive test. And closer to home, we turn to Venezuela, where the government is introducing three new denominations of bills as residents continue to struggle financially. The larger bills allow people to carry fewer currency notes, but with inflation in the country out of control, even these larger bills already have very little value. Jonathan Mejia has all the details. This is the brand new currency that has begun to circulate on the streets of Venezuela. On one side, it has a million bolivars printed on it, making it the most valuable bill in the history of the country's monetary system. But it is a banknote with six zeros that in reality is only a mirage. Until a few years ago, a million bolivars was a lot of money, but today, impoverished Venezuelans look at it with irony and disdain. Poor millionaires. We were rich and didn't even know it. Soon, they will be like the others. They will not be worth anything, and we will see them scattered in the streets. But the real value of the bill is only about 25 cents in U.S. dollars. So we went out to the streets to ask, what can we buy with this new bill? What can we buy with one million bolivars? My friend, with one million bolivars, you can buy two candies here. Not even a water is worth that. Water is worth 1.5 million bolivars. Just a few candies, not even enough for one meal. In 1999, before Hugo Chavez came to power, one million bolivars was equivalent to almost $1,800. 22 years later, the bolivar as a currency has almost no value. This bill will have the same fate as the other bills, which are not even received at bank branches. Along the way, two monetary reconversions eliminated eight zeros from the Bolivar, so that the brand new one million bill would actually be 100 billion Bolivars in 1999. Now, there is a talk of a third reconversion in the prompt circulation of what is called the digital Bolivar. 
Reported by Francisco Uricieta in Caracas, Venezuela, Jonathan Mejia, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then. Thank you.